just a wonderful year as, as the holidays have fallen on Sunday, which is so appropriate because, of course, our word holiday really is the old English word for holy day. And to have both Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve on a Sunday, we're able to really wrap our arms around the holiday season. And I've continued the Advent because we have a children's program. I always have a little bit more of Advent in me uh, because we, uh, one of the Sundays, give it over to the wonderful testimony of the little ones, of the kids. If you're like our family, Christmas goes by in a rush. It's like you prepare, you think, you get ready, you prepare, you go to the store, you go to the store again. Finally, before the company arrives, you realize what you've forgotten, you go to the store one more time, and you're so thankful they stay open. If you're like me, you go often late. I was terrible when I lived in Medicine Hat because our, our house was five minutes from the biggest mall in town, and I found that I loved after... Uh, Christmas Eve service to go to the mall. They'd be open till nine. And I'd get to the mall and it was this crazy, you could almost smell desperation in the air. You know, it's just like everybody was, they're all moving, nobody's moving slow. They're all moving fast, trying to get in and out and do what they need to do. And, uh, but I often found that, especially for jewelry, a lot of good deals, everything gold, 80% off, you know, and it was, it was a neat thing. And I always wanted to get a little piece of jewelry because it was a tradition that started with my mom many years ago. And ladies, you can steal this tradition. She had a little little ornament that was a cowboy boot. And she hung it on her tree. And she let slip to my dad, you know what would be nice? If on Christmas morning, I looked in that cowboy boot and there was a little piece of jewelry in it. Wouldn't that be neat? Wouldn't that be neat? And my dad said, oh, yeah. But it, it became a tradition. She made it become a tradition. And we called that her boot gift, her boot present. And, uh, and in our family as well, she passed that idea on to my wife, but she doesn't have a boot. She has a little wicker basket. And uh, we always try to have a little piece of jewelry. And I remember one year that it was the excitement of the morning and the wrapping paper, squeals of grandkids. It wasn't till later. I don't think we were actually taking down the tree and taking the ornaments off when we realized the gift was still in the basket. It never we never opened it in the, in the excitement of the day. And, uh, and that gets me thinking of how many times that you will be, uh, come about June, you'll be doing some cleaning, maybe you get to the bottom of your sock drawer, and that gift that you hid so sneakily, you find it, it's still there. Or you're going through the closet where you hid the, the gifts on a high shelf from the kids, and they know exactly where you hide everything, you can't hide anything from them, and you find a gift, you forgot to give it. I know more than once we have put uh, buns in the uh, oven just on warm, very low temperature, so we have nice fresh bread with a meal and clean it up after the meal. And, you know, why is the light on in the oven? Oh, the buns. We never, we forgot to take them out. We forget in the busyness so many things. But as you see from the title today, there are characters in Scripture that they just, they're in the story, they're front and center in the Christmas story, but they are forgotten by and large. And I blame those nativity sets. You know, as I have this beautiful nativity set before me, we've talked before of how anachronistic, how out of time it is to see the magi, the wise men, uh, at the manger, because they arrived between one and two years after the birth of Christ, when they found him. It's a family with a little boy, no longer the word for baby, but now child, and he's living in a house in Bethlehem, not wrapped in cloths in the manger, but we put them there anyway. 
you know, and we have, look, we have angels who are there, we have shepherds, donkeys, little drummer boys, no animals are mentioned, but, you know, they're probably there, we extrapolate a lot who were there, but that's our traditional manger scene. Now, uh, my dream is to have a manger scene with these characters that are forgotten in it. Because as we see today, the two great characters, and you know they're the senior saints, Simeon and Anna, they're the ones that interact with baby Jesus. Not like the wise men, little boy Jesus, little toddler Jesus, but the baby. And one of them is the only person in Scripture ever mentioned that holds Jesus in their arms. We assume Mary and Joseph did. They're his parents, but it's never told us. All of the pictures have Madonna and child, but only, only this character in Scripture holds Jesus in their arms. But they're largely, largely forgotten. Well, of course, it's the senior saints at the temple. Jesus is taken there to fulfill the commandments of God's people Israel from the Old Testament. Remember, there were things that you had to do for the firstborn child. You had to redeem them out of God's service to take them home. And that harkens all the way back to the uh, time of the Passover. And then being a poor family, they go to the temple and they sacrifice. They don't have the funds for a lamb, so it's two turtle doves. But while they're there, they interact with these two Christmas characters. At the time, Jesus is probably no more than 40 days old. He was circumcised and named at eight days old. And then a month later, they go to the temple because Mary now is uh, ceremonially cleansed and the child can be dedicated and redeemed back as the firstborn. He's about 40 days old. And he goes there and he meets these characters, Christmas characters at the birth of Christ. The first one we want to look at, at Christmas, this character has a lesson to teach us. And I talked about these characters just recently and the many times I got to speak through the Christmas season at St. Mary's. And I love St. Mary's because we have senior saints there. People from all different backgrounds. We have people there over the years, people who are pastors, people who are missionaries, people that we've known and loved who've grown up and grown old in our community. And they have something that the younger generation lacks. Age. (laughs) Simply put, age. You know, we're living in a very upside-down time. Throughout all of human history, universally in all cultures, the elders were respected, even revered, because they had age. They had survived. They were survivors. And if not outright wisdom on how to make wise and healthy choices and how to live your life. At least they had enormous experience. The two aren't the same, but they're related. Wisdom often comes from the experience of making so many bad choices over the years and bearing the consequences that you want to pass on the news to others to spare them from making the same mistakes you made. Our seniors are a rich resource. So what do we do for the first time ever, Western modern culture, we try to separate seniors out. We try to deny old age. We try to cover up its effects surgically. We try to separate them out of the home where they used to grow old in the home. Every home was multi-generational. You had mom and dad and kids, but you had the parents' parents. And the kids were often raised just as much by the grandparents as by the 
by the parents. And now the seniors, they stay in their own homes or they go to a home or they go to a care home. And sometimes those families aren't as close as they could be. But in this situation, we see two seniors, the only gray hairs in the bunch of the Christmas story. And they have wisdom. They have experience with God. And they are able to understand Jesus in ways that not even his mother and father do. They've been visited by angels. Shepherds were shocked and scared by angels. Nobody quite knew what was happening. They knew what God was doing, but they didn't know the meaning of it. Not so with Simeon and Anna. They're like the narrators of the story at our Christmas play. They narrate and let us know what this child means and what this child will do. So first, coming out of 23 into 24, I ask myself, do these seniors have any wisdom or experience to impart to us today? First point Simeon makes is that at Christmas, he learned in the story that God is a promise-keeping God. God keeps his promise. We humans, we make so many promises, little and small. Tell the kids, clean up your room. I will. Don't do this until your room's clean. Sure, sure. It's remembered until it's out of their mouth and it's forgotten. We make so many promises that we don't keep. We make many promises we don't even intend to keep, and the person we make them to knows we don't intend to keep them. It's just a figure of speech. But for some, promise is a promise, is a promise. There's an old saying, that person's word is their bond. If they make a promise, they are shackled to it, and they will live and die to keep that promise. Those people are rare, kind of strange to us. I wish there were more like that. I wish when we came to our promises we make before God on our wedding day that we would keep those promises to love, honor, cherish, right up until God takes us home. But life intrudes. Human promises, sometimes they're not worth the words they're spoken or the paper they're written on. Not so with God. God keeps his promise. And we see that when it comes to Simeon. We read in Luke chapter 2, verse 25 and following, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. (laughs) Described with both things. Not only was he righteous, but he was faithful in keeping righteous works. He was devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. There's that. The only one in Scripture we ever see held Jesus in their arms. He took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. There's a number of things about Simeon. How did he know so much? 
His name is a clue. The name Simeon in that language means to listen intelligently. Not just to let it go in one ear and out the other, but to really attend to something. And obviously, he's listening to the voice of God. We're told three times the Holy Spirit was on him. He was led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him. He had a heart that listened to God. His name reflected that. And we're told that he was waiting. That word waiting is unique in that it's not, it could be translated honestly and good as waiting, but it means somebody who's waiting with expectancy. It's like you have company coming. You haven't seen them for so long and you're so excited. Your ears are tuned to hear the car door slam or the doorbell ring. You're waiting with hope. And that's what Simeon was doing. But he was waiting for consolation, not only his, but for the whole nation. Remember, they longed for a Messiah. They longed for a Davidic king. Remember the shepherd king we talked about last week. They had longed for the Messiah since, really since the time of David. A shepherd after God's own heart. But in the last hundred years, as the Romans had become their overlords and cruelly ruled them since Pompey had marched through the country in 60 B.C., for the last century, oh, how they had longed for their own king, someone to deliver them from their problems. I used to wonder about that consolation. But remember, I don't like to bring it up, remember just a short time ago, we had been through years of lockdowns, of separation, of missed holidays, missed birthdays, missed anniversaries, Something we couldn't see with our eyes, we had to take on faith from those in power. And we were herded like animals, and we were locked in, and we were locked down, and we were masked up, and we were fed up, and we were just sick of it. Oh, we wanted consolation. We wanted comfort and relief from an oppressive situation. That's just the smallest of tastes of what God's people had suffered cruelly at the hands of the Romans. They'd just gone through another outrage as Caesar, to enlarge his tax rolls, had caused the whole world the inconvenience of going to their hometowns to register, just flagrantly showing their power over them. And he was waiting for consolation. And God had revealed through the Holy Spirit that he would see it. He would experience God had made a promise. And he's a promise-keeping God. I like how the Apostle Paul puts it in Acts chapter 13. He's preaching in the synagogue, and he's telling a group of Jews about Jesus, that he is the Messiah that was promised. Speaking of King David, and then continuing, Paul preaches, from this man's descendants, King David, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. God is a promise-keeping God. And I think as we look at Simeon, that's the lesson we want to take into the new year. It's full of uncertainties. We don't know what's going to happen. Very likely, either one of us or someone we know won't live out the year. We don't know. Very likely, we'll have joys. We'll shed tears. The worst things happen, we won't see them coming. Good things will come unexpectedly. We don't know what's going to happen. But if we have God's promise, 
we can go forward with confidence and assurance that God keeps his promises. Scripture reveals to us that you can trust the promises of a trustworthy God. I put a rainbow there on purpose. We've got to redeem the rainbow. The rainbow has become a, a horrible symbol of sin, debauchery, perversion. The rainbow is a gift from God. And it's a gift that says that he is trustworthy and he's made a promise that he is going to keep. Rainbow is a beautiful thing. Natural phenomena, but a reminder of God's faithfulness. God keeps his promises. Numbers 23, you can't put it any better. In Numbers 23, we read that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Those are rhetorical questions. There, God is showing that he is not like the false gods that humans make up in their own image. He is not like us. He is wholly true and faithful. His word, his promise is his bond. And that's one of the things they celebrate, the saints of the Old Testament. Look at these two passages from the book of Psalms. 119, your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. Psalm 145, the Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. Loving promise maker. What a precious God he is. Well, friends, are there any left for us? Simeon had a promise and God kept it. Now he could die fulfilled, consoled. What about you? What about you in 2024? Is there anything left for us? Cliff and Gloria Peterson we used to have breakfast meetings in their house. Marlon smiles as he remembers the good food that Gloria made for us. But in their kitchen, they had a little plaque, as we often do. It was a reminder from Scripture, God's promises are new every morning. And we were always there in the morning, and it was very special and very meaningful to us. God's promises for you in 2024. First, God promises his presence. He will not leave you. Deuteronomy 31.6 reminds us, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus echoed that at the end of the book of Matthew. Lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. When God is with you, the hard times aren't as hard. Because He's with you. The dark isn't as dark because you're holding his hand because he's with you. And that gives us assurance. And he's promised his assurance to us. The assurance we have in God flows from his presence and his acceptance of us. John 6, 3, 7. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. God will keep you. We're saved by faith. We're not kept by works. For many years, Christians have argued this fact. Can you lose your salvation by doing something wrong, by stumbling? Well, we could if we were saved by our faithfulness and works, but we're not. We're saved by faith in a faithful God. We're not faithful, but God is. It's that that gives us assurance. I will never cast you out, Jesus says. 
the promise of lasting love. We have assurance because God loves us. He's not fickle. He doesn't change his mind. It's not he loves you today, not so much tomorrow. Romans 8, the beautiful passage, verse 38. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's lasting love rests on you. It's a promise. The promise of forgiveness. We do stumble. We do let God down. We do let down those around us. And God has promised in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's so exciting to see Allie and others awaken to God's hand in their lives. So I want to live not just for myself, not just for my family. I want to do things in my life for God. To recognize that God has a purpose for us. You remember the little tract we used years ago, the four spiritual laws? (laughs) I remember how that started. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He sounded a bit like a car salesman, but that's true. God has a plan for each one of us, a purpose. Romans 8, 28, for, and we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's his purpose for your life. It's different than his purpose for my life. He has it for you. You need to find it and pursue it. And as you do that to fulfill his purpose, it takes his strength. You know you're on the right track when God calls you to do something that you're not able to do. What do I mean by that? Well, Just when you reach the end of yourself, you really find what God can do. That's when he shows up in power. It's not an accident that Simeon and Anna are old people. Their best days are behind them. They are physically frail, but God shows up in his power in their experience. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And all of this, the cherry on top, we have the promise of eternal life. I remember as a kid watching one of these uh, prosperity gospel preachers. His name was Brother Ike. And he was an African-American preacher. And he wore pink suits and purple suits covered in sequins. And he was in this big glitzy church. And he would drive into the service in like a gold Cadillac. And he would get out and he'd just revel in money, money, money. And he'd say, he'd say, God has promised you pie in the sky, but there's a slice for you to eat here too. Woohoo! You know, and I was attracted to that. I like that. Because <laughs> I love pie. I really do. I just thought of pie, you know. Pecan, pumpkin, Saskatoon, strawberry, rhubarb. Don't get me going. <laughs> but eternal life, friends, isn't pie in the sky. It's the quality of being in relationship with the living one now that continues beyond physical life. As Jesus speaking to the mourning sisters of Lazarus in their grief, he says in John 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. 
your life continues beyond what we see in this world. And we are thankful for that. Well, Simeon has so much to teach us. God's a promise-keeping God. Anna, you think it'd be the little, the little widow lady Anna who took the baby in her arms. But she's too busy celebrating. Because Anna believed good news was for sharing. She had insight as well. She listened to God's Holy Spirit. In fact, she is named in Scripture as a prophet. One of the last of the Old Testament prophets. We always think, well, that would be John the Baptist. Jesus says there was never a greater prophet. But one of the last mentioned, not only John the Baptist, but it's also Anna at the temple. She is a prophet. And their story is unique because she married probably quite young. Girls married anywhere between 14, 16 in those days. And she was married only seven years before her husband died. She was a young widow in her 20s. She never remarried. What could she do with her life? Let's look. Verse 36 of Luke chapter 2, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment as Simeon is celebrating Jesus, God's faithfulness, holding the baby in, her arm, in his arms. Anna comes up at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. She immediately becomes an evangelist. She doesn't even take time. She says, God has shown up. But think about that. You have Caesar in Rome. You have the Roman governors. Surrounding them at the temple were Roman soldiers. And she says, God is here. We're saved. And he's a baby. Can't say a word. Can't take a step. Not at all what they were praying for. They were praying for a king coming on the clouds as Jesus returned, his second coming. I think of Anna, and I think of how, how we pray. When I pray, I say, Lord, I, I'm praying. Here's the situation. You know it better than I do. But here, I've got some ideas on how you can fix this. And they usually run along the lines of health and wealth and happiness. Lord, here's my answers to prayer that I deem acceptable. And then God shows up. And if my prayer is a king on a horse and God sends and shows up as a baby, I'm disappointed. I say, yeah, God, you answered my prayer, but not like I wanted. I had a good idea and you kind of fumbled the ball, didn't you? I prayed for recovery and you took my loved one home to be eternally healthy and well and celebrating heaven It's not good enough. (laughs) I have to learn to be like Anna. When God answers and keeps his promise, the focus isn't on how he did it, but the one who did it. The focus should be on the one who answers the prayer rather than the packaging the answer came in that I was so worried about. Anna celebrates. For those of you older than Anna, don't be offended by the fact that it says she was very old. 
She was 84. You say, oh, I'm 86. What's that say? Well, the fact that that's spoken of is that the life expectancy was in the 40s. You know, you were old at 35. Jesus went to heaven, done, in his mid-30s. People lived beyond 40s all the time, but because the, so many people died young, so many people died in childbirth, no medicine, childhood illnesses, so much death, that the average worked out to somewhere in the 40s. So for her to take a tragedy when she's young and turn her grief into a lifelong prayer is an incredible thing. She stuck herself right in the temple. She could not get enough of God's presence. And God rewarded that. She understood and she heard as well. But she turned her joy into sharing. The news was too good. The Messiah has arrived. And friends, sometimes we have to realize that we are holders of the best news of all. God has given you the gospel, the old English word, which means good news. And good news is for sharing. We don't keep it to ourselves. In fact, we don't even represent ourselves when we share Jesus. We're his ambassadors. And we finish with that beautiful passage from 2 Corinthians where Paul reminds us that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. It's Jesus saying, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. It's Jesus doing that, but he's doing it through your life and your voice and the love shown by your hands. Making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Forgiveness is on offer. Salvation is free. Oh boy, I know if you're like me, Black Friday, Boxing Day. Well, I'm not about the the material things, but I better check in case there's a deal too good to pass up. That's what this is. It's too good to pass up. It's amazing. He's paid the price. You just need to receive it. And what a beautiful picture Simeon gave us. He's the only one who takes Emmanuel, God, with us. And he receives him, holds him to his heart. can now say, God, with me. That's the salvation on offer today. And in this new year, as we hold to God's promises, may we have a little bit of Anna in us and tell everybody who hears the good news. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy of the season. Lord, Jesus is the joy. And Lord, he comes with us through hard times and good times. Lord, he is in our hearts. May we hold him close as Simeon did. He looked into those baby eyes and he saw the ancient of days. Anna knew instantly, Lord, by your spirit that this was the Messiah. This was her Savior. And before Jesus could grow up or speak a word or preach a sermon, she was already pointing people to him. And now, Father, as we have the finished work of Jesus on the cross, the empty tomb on Easter morning, ascended to your right hand to intercede on our behalf. Lord, we have a story to tell to the nations, to our community, 
to our neighbors, to our families. May we be as the senior saints in the Christmas story, Simeon and Anna, in this coming year. We look forward, Lord, to all that you will do in us and through us, for we pray it all in Jesus' faithful name. Amen. God bless and keep you. Hope to see many of you out tonight for fireworks, 830. Pray for safety for the guys up on the rooftop and those in the firing zones down below. God bless.